You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I have to admit, I got pretty uh, emotional during the last sharing in the song, and I'm trying to just process all that was just shared. And I know it, it can be very easy to hear stuff like that and just kind of move by it, you know? But I just was thinking, and then the song, Death Could Not Hold Us Down, He is the Risen King. So much power and change comes from the cross and resurrection. Like people's lives are actually being changed for the better because of the cross and the resurrection. And I hope today, if you're here for the first time, you're visiting with us, you can experience that. You can get a little sample of what that is. Obviously, in one moment, it's not enough time to really, really understand, but maybe it can be a catalyst to help you feel what it might be like to surrender to the cross and be resurrected with Christ. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for bringing us here together. We're so grateful we get this chance to come before you. I am um, humbled just by the service so far. Cannot believe that you've given us this opportunity just to be in relationship with you. I pray that as we go through the rest of the service, we can remember just how amazing you are. Be humbled by everything that you've been able to do for us and for us to respond in a resurrected way. We love you, and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So let's give it up for Newbie and Abraham once again. Great job. Great job sharing, guys. Uh, today is... Oh, my name is Kenny. Sorry, I just... Some of you don't know who I am. My name is Kenny Zuchuku. I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, today is my sister Shadera's rebirthday. So this is when she decided to become a Christian and got baptized into Christ. She's not here right now. She's getting ready for a wedding, but uh, she, she should be here shortly. So uh, Shadera, I love you. Happy rebirthday. And if you guys see her, just make sure you give her a shout of praise. I had some friends today who texted me this morning that they couldn't come. They really wanted to come to service, but they couldn't make it. And I figured, you know, dang, that kind of stinks. I wanted to be here to see it. But I figured I could do something to help encourage them. Some of them got sick. Some of them, uh, they missed their flight. So things, things of that nature. So what I want to do real quick with everyone here is I want to just take a quick video. And I want everyone just to say Happy Easter and just cheer as loud as you can for five seconds. Just five seconds. For all, all the introverted people that hate yelling, please, just for five seconds. Just do this for me. I'm introverted too. I hate when people, you know, you go to big crowds and they make you do things you don't want to do. I'm, it's Easter. You know, give me a break. All right, so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give a little countdown here. All right. So just say Happy Easter, and then I'll count down five, four, three, two, one. You, sh- you, sh- you shout as loud as you want, and then we'll stop. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, it's being, I'm recording already. You guys don't know this. So. All right, ready? One, two, three. Happy Easter! 
Great. Awesome. Awesome. That'll make them feel guilty. I mean, good. That'll make them feel good that they couldn't be here, but people love them. Let's turn our Bibles over to 2 Corinthians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. The title of my lesson today is New Creation. Let's see if it's back here. There we go. New Creation. Jesus resurrected from the dead, and his resurrection inspires us to live a resurrected life. Jesus resurrected from the dead, and his resurrection inspires us to live a resurrected life. So as we read and as we process, the question is there. Are you living a resurrected life? Are you living a resurrected life? When we're feeling down and hopeless, we can live a resurrected life. When we're down in the dumps and we feel like there's no way out, in that moment, we can read, we can live a resurrected life. When we feel like no one cares about us, we can live a resurrected life. A great orator once told me, when I was really, really down in the dumps, feeling terrible about life, he said, Kenny, you can't lose hope. And I said, I feel hopeless. He's like, no, no, you can't lose hope. You can't lose something God gave to you. You've lost perspective. And I remember hearing that thinking, wow, it's as simple as changing my mindset. Simple as, what's the word? Repentance. That's what we use in the Christian world. Changing the way we think can change our perspective and then changes how we feel, which then changes what we do. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Let's read about new creation. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what's in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Can everyone say amen? amen. Can everyone say amen? amen? 
The early Christians were new creations. Rodney Stark, who's a sociologist, researched the rise of early Christianity in the Roman Empire. And he looked and he somehow found a way to come up with numbers to see the growth over time. So year in Christ, the year with the number of Christians, 40 A.D., there were 1,000 Christians. In 100 A.D., he believes there were 7,500 Christians. 150 A.D., 40,000. 250 A.D., 1.2 million, which was 2% of the population. And then in 300 A.D., 6.3 million. Why are these dates and numbers important? This is before Constantine took over the empire and before he mandated people, incentivized them to be Christians. Does that make sense? This was not a popular thing to do, yet it grew like crazy. After Jesus died and was resurrected, when people heard he is risen, somehow, some way, it changed the trajectory of the world. And by 380, you had these so-called Christians populating the world. There's a powerful message, the gospel, coupled with powerful messengers, disciples, that led to an explosion of growth. And people were willing to die for the message of the cross. People were willing to die. These messengers did not die in vain. Their message was supposed to live and resurrect people's lives. Just like you heard earlier, right? They'd rather die than allow someone to go through life without hearing the gospel that could change everything when they decided to repent and get baptized, they were resurrected. Their identity was now merged with Christ. So much so that they did things that the world would consider crazy. The world would consider foolish and weird. You ever hear that? We have friends saying, oh, that's weird what your church does. I'm like, yeah, it is weird. It's very weird. Because you have a worldly perspective. But this is what we do because we follow this resurrected king. You know what was weird too, early Christians? In the Roman Empire, there is this thing called infanticide. You guys know what that is? It's the killing of infants. So what would happen is females who were devalued and discarded, if a wife would have a female child, they'd say, throw her in the dung heap, which is basically a huge pile of garbage. So that was normal in the Roman Empire. They would throw her. You know what these weird Christians would do? They would hear the cries of these babies, and they would crawl up a pile of trash until they could get to the baby and then take them home and then raise them as their own. That was weird in that society. But that's what you do for a resurrected Christ. If there is any doubt in your mind that Christianity is weird, I hope I just clarified. It is weird because it doesn't follow the patterns of this world. It's a resurrected life. Here's a picture of me. 
as a baby? Can anyone say, aww? Things have gone uh, in a different way for me since then. Got a lot of head turns back then. I look back and say, wow, I was physically a new creation back then, right? Everyone looks at a baby and you're like, whoa, babies are so cool. They're awesome. Amazing babies. I was dressed very well. My mom knew how to dress me. Had the flipped up hat. Play school. I don't know if you guys can read that. It says play school. Fast forward about 25 years. Here's me. Things changed drastically. Here's me graduating at UCLA from grad school. Yep, I did it. Academically, I was a new creation after going through grad school. Why am I sharing this? There are certain moments in life that help us feel resurrected, that help us feel new, that help us feel revitalized, that help us feel inspired. And our society tends to focus on these moments. We hyperbolize these moments. We idealize these moments. But we forget about the process. The time it takes to build and grow and learn. Christians are not stagnant. If there's a spirit of God is in you, you're constantly forming into this new creation because you're resurrected. Erected, Jesus was constantly forming. He was constantly on the move, serving the poor and the marginalized, calling people to repentance. We call that practical ministry. He was constantly connecting with God one-on-one. He would scale mountains just to get alone time and pray with God. His personal ministry. He was constantly helping people learn and teaching them the way of God. We call that teaching ministry. To be in Christ is to spiritually form over time. It cannot be epitomized in just one moment. Or two or three. New creation is not just a one-time change. It's a lifetime of change. New creation is not just a one-time change, it's a lifetime of change. And this is what we in the 21st century Western world have now called spiritual formation. What is spiritual formation? The lifelong work of maturing communities and individuals and an ever-growing relationship with God spanning every area of your life. Every area of your life. This is why when Paul says anyone in Christ is a new creation, he means present tense. You are now a new creation. Younger Christians, sometimes we look at old Christians who've been around, oh, sorry, old, seasoned veterans, excuse me. Let's not label here. They may have different perspectives than any. They may have grown up in a different generation, different time. And you look at them and you say, you were a new creation. You were 
a new creation, but you're kind of old now. And you're a little outdated, and you say things kind of weird, and maybe you smell a little bit sometimes, and you start to make these assumptions about these people without understanding that they are forming. They are still a new creation. Sit down. Be humble. There's something you can learn from that. Older Christians, sometimes you can look back at all you've accomplished And you idealize the past to the point where the present becomes redundant. And you look at young people and say, they got to solve all the world's problems because we had our time. They need your wisdom. They need your support. They need your love. You need their youth. You need their relatability and their energy. They are two new creations. We've got to work together. Because we're forming into Christ, not just individually, but as a community. It blows my mind how much we fail to realize that the resurrected Christ wants each and every one of us to live a resurrected life. New creation is impossible without spiritual formation. New creation is impossible without spiritual formation. Now, we get to hear from a dear little sister in Christ who I've had the privilege of being just a small part of her spiritual formation journey since her freshman year at UCLA. I give you Naomi Stephan. My name is Naomi Stephan, as Kenny said, and I graduated last year from UCLA and am now a part of the Young Professionals Ministry. Um, I uh, am excited to share with you, also very nervous, um, but I know Nubi talked about this earlier, but I do want to give a quick trigger warning that I will um, discuss a little bit about suicidal ideation. Um, I have never been more humbled than I have been in this past year. I went from doing it all, uh, working two jobs, interning for the campus ministry, running tutoring programs, being a full-time student, um, being admitted to a master's program, etc., to needing to leave what felt like just about everything in my life and everything that I had gotten my value from. This is just a bit of my journey over this past year of how God has taken me into the blazing furnace and continues to refine me into a new creation. While this all started much earlier, I'll start by sharing where I was a year ago today. Last Easter, I was planning the texts I needed to send and notes I needed to write before taking my own life. While this wasn't the first time I was planning to attempt suicide, this did not feel impulsive, but rather the logical thing to do. Despite feeling so low, I wrestled with God, made it back to my apartment, ended up calling my sister, and deciding to go home to my family where I knew I would be safe. Over the next several months, I justified why I should attempt suicide as I had several mental health issues surface and made myself miserable. 
While I appeared to have it all together, I was hurting. I felt like a failure. I felt lost. I had gained the world, but forfeited my soul. On June 15th, I set a date for myself to take my life on August 15th. I decided I wanted to make the most of my last two months, take risks, go on trips with friends, and live a life to the full as it would be the end of it. I had faith that God was there, but had lost all hope. I saw myself as beyond repair. Along with this, I had been dealing with an eating disorder that had flared up to very severe over the course of several months. This constant cycle of self-harm made it almost impossible for me to internalize God's love, and I ultimately both mentally and physically brought myself to the edge of death. I told my therapist, I'm not thriving, but I'm surviving, and she responded, Naomi, you're not even surviving. Amidst this, she brought up the idea that I should go to eating disorder treatment. While I was initially incredibly resistant to the idea, I eventually came to the conclusion, go to treatment or take my own life. Just two weeks before I intended to commit, there was a significant event that led me to fully reconsider and become very open to the idea of treatment. At this time, though, I thought treatment would still mean living my normal life, but going to a center for a few hours a day, for a few weeks. Yet, God had other plans. I received a call in early September that I was admitted to a center in Santa Barbara, and I needed to move by the end of the week. This threw me for a loop. How could I leave everything and go? I called Kenny, and as we talked, he asked me a direct and challenging question. If you were in a room alone with God, what would he tell you to do? I broke down in the middle of Westwood because I knew what the answer was, even though I didn't want it to be. I had become so hopeless, and God would want me to be healed. I had become shackled by something I once used as a means of creating a sense of control. In reality, it was controlling me. With that, three days later, I moved to Santa Barbara. While I thought I'd soon return to normal life, I got there and they told me I would need to be there for at least 16 to 18 weeks. While I thought I had been in the fire before, I think this is where God really began refining me. I felt broken, but God saw me as gold and needing of being purified and made new. Going through the process of eating disorder treatment is inherently needs to be transformative and was the most difficult experience I've ever faced. When you get there, it's eight hours a day, seven days a week of talking and eating and more talking and more eating. And just about every moment is hard, but needing to face fear and difficulty every day, you learn so much. The first thing was how evident it was that God is the answer to all things we crave in life and the ultimate source of strength. I want to be clear, eating disorders are an illness and not a sin. While they may start with small decisions, there are many reasons to be predisposed to developing an eating disorder with both genetic and environmental factors, and it's ultimately a sickness. That being said, eating disorders are not merely an issue with food, but rather are rooted in many deeper issues. As other clients shared their life and I processed through my own, it became so clear that full recovery and healing is found in who God is. I use my eating disorder as a way of coping with anxiety, a grasp for control, an attempt to find security, and a a way to manage doing all the things I did to feel worthy. And yet, through this process, God is revealing to me that all the things I was looking for were not found by my own means, but rather in Him. I could only achieve recovery by living as who He created me to be. God taught me the importance of transparency and vulnerability in community. One of the hardest things about eating disorders is they are incredibly secretive, shameful, and require deception to maintain. Even my roommates did not know I had an eating disorder because I was so good at hiding it. 
When put in treatment, though, everything is brought into the light. And as things are brought into the light, it allows us to powerfully combat shame. Uh, Even today, I'm struggling a lot with being vulnerable, um, but I know that God calls us to live in the light, not because he desires for us to be ashamed or humiliated, but rather because he desires for us to be healed. While this is not just applicable to eating disorders, I could not embrace who God wanted me to be if I stayed in a place of hiding and shame. With all this emerged the importance of community. While I've seen this in the church, this process made it so apparent that I needed people going through the same experiences who were also living in the light and who had a mindset oriented toward recovery. My first three weeks there, I was doing incredibly poorly, as were most of the people in my group. But my roommate was so recovery-minded, and slowly our group saw a shift to people really pushing past using foods as a means of coping with anxiety and emotion. At that time, I was in a place where I was told if I kept doing what I was doing, I would kill myself. And other people I was with were there, too. But this forced us to have the same mindset and to challenge each other from a place of empathy. This also made me see parallels to our spiritual walk in the church. When we are in a church community that is not actively seeking God, but has become comfortable in wherever we are at, that's contagious. Yet when we actively seek God collectively, we can all grow and face life's challenges through a lens of God's love and grace. Finally, I was able to experience radical love, not just from God, but from my treatment team and other clients. I was recently at my grandma's lecture, and someone shared, radical love is a willingness to struggle with you despite resistance. I was so resistant to my team for many weeks, letting my eating disorder stay in control. They pushed me through the struggle, but didn't abandon me in it. And I found this not only in my treatment team, but in my best friends. And I continue to find that. It's incredibly difficult for me to hear people comment on anything related to my food, whether or not I'm eating. And honestly, it's quite unhelpful. Yet God has given me a community, both through treatment and especially through my best friends, like Cecilia, my roommate, my family, um, and people like Kenny, who do love me with radical love and allow me to help and help me in the ways I need to be helped. In the same way, it helped me understand God's radical love. While I continue to struggle with this, I learned while in treatment that in a place of self-harm, it's so fundamentally difficult for me to internalize love from people and ultimately love from God. I saw myself as so broken that I could not be loved. But slowly as I saw that I did not see myself the way God saw me, I was able to discover the radical love of God through the radical love of people. I will be very honest, I continue to struggle with my relationship with God all through treatment and am continuing to work through it. I came back from treatment having seen God work in so many ways, yet at the same time craving freedom from everything and thinking that needed to be found outside of God and outside of the church. I'm now confident, though, that true grace and the subsequent freedom it brings comes from God and not from anyone or anything else. I still struggle with my eating disorder on a daily basis, but I am being continually transformed into the new creation God wants me to be. I am not the same person that I was a year ago. I see the joy in living again, and I want to be here. I am embracing that God has a plan for my whole life and for me. I'm remembering Isaiah 43:18 through 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up in you. Do not perceive. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I don't have all the answers, and I'm so far from having it together. 
But God continues to see me as his child, perfectly made and perfectly loved, and being transformed not because I'm broken, but in a continual process of refinement, because he desires for me grace, freedom, and a life to the full. Thank you for letting me share. Amen. Amen. um, When Naomi and I would meet uh, during her treatment, she would tell me the things that they would kind of push her to do in treatment facilities. And you know when you watch a movie where there's a lot of action, you're like, oh, 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 oh. So that was kind of how I responded. Like, oh, my gosh, you know. It felt like I was like hardcore discipling. She's like, it's what I need to live a resurrected life. Spiritually, what do you need to live a resurrected life? What do you need to be a new creation every single day you wake up? What do you need to follow a resurrected king? On Friday, we celebrated a Good Friday. And it was a time where we spent just commemorating what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's a really helpful time for me to reflect on it and obviously for us to talk through different sins in our lives that hinder us from having a reconciled relationship with God. So that was a good Friday. And then obviously on Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead as an opportunity for us to live a new resurrected life. So as we go into communion discussion, which is a time where we talk with the people, some people amongst you, just have a few minutes of conversation, I want us to ask ourselves these questions. Which area or areas in your life need to be resurrected? Which areas need to be resurrected? And number two, what will you do starting today? to begin living as, or intentionally, to intentionally grow as a new creation in Christ. So let's take about five minutes, and we can discuss that with the people around us. If you're new again, you're visiting, you don't want to talk, you don't have to talk. You can just sit there, find some disciples near you, and just sit there and listen. They won't be weirded out. They'll just be understanding. Okay? All right, go ahead. As we're reflecting here, I thought of two things. You guys know that song, uh, what's it called? Resurrecting? You know, how's, how's it go again? By your name I come alive in the adultery. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your spirit I'm alive. To declare your victory, the resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting
As my good friend Lamar Hall once said, don't let blessings just flow to you. Let blessings flow through you. Some of us here, we know we're not new creations, and that's okay. Make a decision today to repent, change your mindset, find Christians that will let you begin that spiritual formation journey. And for everyone else, as we take communion here, remember just how grateful we can be to have this opportunity to continually be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Let's remember the cross as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together on Easter. It's Easter Sunday. We're resurrected, Lord. I'm singing. That's resurrection right there. I pray that we remember your son and the sacrifice, what we celebrated on Friday. The kneels pierced through his hands. The torture he endured. His body was broken. So as we take the bread, we can just visualize and remember this was a sacrifice. He paid it. He gave us everything. And the blood that he spilled as we take the juice, he gave us everything he got. I pray that we respond and we remember. We remember the sacrifice, Lord. I love you. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.